How are y'all doing? It's good, good, good to be with you. Um, so, um, thanks. It's very good to be with you. Uh, good to be with you. The Sunday after Thanksgiving, um, I'm sorry, I'm having some issues here with my, uh, my iPad. Whoopsie. I knew that this was going to happen. Um, it's good to be with you the Sunday after Thanksgiving. I'm, I assume that you're doing well and that you have a good turkey hangover and uh, that you had wonderful time with, or if you're a vegetarian, maybe you have a portabella hangover or something like that, something weird like that. Uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, I'm really, really glad that you are here. And uh, very happy to be with you this morning. Uh, if you, um, if you're, if this is your first time with us, uh, thanks so much for being here this morning. We're really, really glad that you're here. Uh, there is a connect card attached to your bulletin uh, that, if if you would just take a moment to fill that out, and um, and that's just a good way for us to get to know you and and to uh, learn a little bit more about you and and see how we can connect with you. And that's also a way for you to request more information about uh, what God is up to here uh, at Veritas and and uh, how you can get plugged in. Uh, to what God is up to here at Veritas, we, we'd love to to be able to connect with you in that regard, and and uh, and to uh, buy you a cup of coffee, grab lunch, pray for you. Uh, that reminds me, there's also a little space for prayer requests um, on that Connect card, and uh, if you would, we we would just count it an honor and a joy to to be able to pray for you this week. Um, if if you would just. Take a moment to fill that out. It could be anything. Whatever you feel like you need prayer for, we would, we would love to pray for you this week. Uh, we would count it an, an honor and a joy to do that. Um, in addition to that, uh, so we're kind of nearing the end of our sermon series in the Ten Commandments, um, which is uh, sad but, but also kind of exciting. And, and I, I hope that the Lord has worked in you guys that, like he's worked in me. I, I feel like we're coming out of the series. I, I know more about our triune God, and, and, and I've, I've seen more and more the, the depths of my own sin. I've, I've learned that uh, there are sins that I was committing I didn't even know about, um, and, and also it's, it's caused me to cling uh, in, in even greater ways to the gospel of grace, which I'm so incredibly thankful for. And, and then also just been, uh, there, there's been a light that's kind of clicked on for, for uh, how we're called to live as, as followers of Jesus. And so I'm really thankful for the, for the time in the series, and I hope that the Spirit has, has done those things in your heart as well. Uh, and after this Sunday, uh, we have one more Sunday in the Ten Commandments. We're going to spend uh, another Sunday on the Tenth Commandment. And then uh, we're going to jump into our Advent Sermon Series and look at Isaiah 9, uh, 1 through 7 for a couple of Sundays. And uh, just looking at the exquisite promises in, in Isaiah 9, 1 through 7 there, and the wonderful promises of the coming Christ and his kingdom that will increase always. And uh, that will take us on into our Eve of the Eve uh, gathering, which is uh, the eve of Christmas Eve, Friday, December 23rd. We're going to get together with Refuge City Church, um, and, and we're going to celebrate the, the coming of our Savior. And so uh, if, if you want to make it a priority to be there, that would be wonderful. Uh, and Brian will let you know a little bit more about that later this morning. Uh, but for now, we're going to dig into the Ninth Commandment. If you want to turn to Exodus 2016, Exodus 2016, if you want to stand with me as we read God's Word. 
Exodus 20, 16. Let's listen reverently to the voice of our God. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we, um, we're thankful uh, that you have revealed to us who you are and, and what you require of us. We're thankful that, that you've, uh, you've not left us in the dark as, as far as um, what you've called us to and, and uh, how uh, we're to approach you. And Lord, um, we're thankful that uh, these Ten Commandments don't stand on their own, but, but are given in, in light of the rescue and the redemption that's been accomplished in Christ. And that's foreshadowed in, in the Exodus story. And so, Lord, we, we ask that as we dig into these, this, this ninth commandment here, that you would um, so compel us to, to run to Jesus, to, to run to Mount Calvary uh, as we uh, flee the, from the shadows of, of Mount Sinai and, and, and find refuge in Jesus. And we thank you that these commandments come to us through him. Uh, and, that, and that we have the, the hope of eternal life and salvation in him. And, and um, Lord, we just ask that, that you would also help us this morning as we dig into this commandment. Uh, would you uh, make it effectual and empower us by your spirit to be obedient to it? Would you empower us by your spirit uh, to live uh, in a way that glorifies you and honors you? Would, would you help our, our tongues to speak truth would you help us to be faithful witnesses? Would you help us, uh, Lord, to, to be people that, that love the truth as you love the truth? Would you accomplish that in our hearts? Would you let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our rock, our redeemer? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, so this year, my family and I uh, experienced just kind of a, a newfound interest um, this past August was the first time that Amy or myself had really ever watched the Olympics before. Um, that might seem weird to you, but, but we were just totally engulfed in the whole experience. Uh, we, we really enjoyed it. I mean, like the TV was on every single night. We were watching the Olympics. We, we like kept up with everything and started counting all the medals. And, and uh, we, we looked forward to that time together. We would even like get on uh, the computer and stream events that weren't going to be covered on television, which is super like a high level nerd sort of thing going on. And uh, I, I don't know if you paid much attention to it, but the U.S. like killed it, absolutely killed it. Um, like we, we uh, won 121 medals total. And the next in line was China with like 70 medals and then Great Britain with a little less than that. And we just absolutely uh, cleaned house and swimming, had like Katie Ledecky and Michael Phelps uh, just wiping the floor with people. And then, uh, you know, the, the gymnastics team, Simone Biles, just really, really incredible athletes. We had a lot of athletes from the U.S. Uh, go to Rio in Brazil and, and represent well and compete well and just and do really, really well in the Olympics. Um, and then there was Ryan Lochte. There's Ryan Lochte. Uh, and, and no doubt you probably heard about Ryan Lochte this past summer. Um, to make a long story short, just to, to kind of, if, if you're not familiar, while in Brazil competing for the U.S. in the Olympics, Lochte and a few teammates went out one evening uh, for a night of partying and, and troublemaking, and the night ended with them breaking into a gas station. 
and uh, being caught by security guard after they broke in and, and being forced by the security guard to, to pay for the damages that took place when they broke into the gas station. And uh, the next day, Lochte was on national television, and, and he, he said that um, they were robbed at gunpoint uh, on national television by the security guard. And, and they even filed a, a police report saying the same thing. And surprised, the truth came out shortly after that that is not actually what happened. And, and thereafter came the onslaught of ridicule by the American people and even the world. Uh, but, but the American people particularly rose up in righteous indignation to judge Lochte and his teammates. And, and I just found that fascinating. I found that fascinating. You know, they, they did lie and there's consequences, consequences for their actions. But honestly, I couldn't help but chuckle a little bit at this at the outrage that we witnessed, because it makes me think of what C.S. Lewis said in The Abolition of Man. We, we make men without chess, and we expect from them virtue and enterprise. You know, in, in, in a culture where, where truth is, is less and less valued and, and, and more and more being seen as relative, how can we then expect people to value the truth and to tell the truth? In, in what Chuck Colson called a post-truth culture, how can we expect people to not lie? You know, in a recent survey, it showed that a growing number of our population believe that lying is a perfectly fine uh, means to, to, acceptable means to another end. Uh, in, in, in another um, study, uh, an extraordinarily large percentage of, of lying takes place on jo- job resumes and, and online dating sites, uh, which I guess it's not like a massive surprise there. Uh, and, and like patients lying to their doctors as if that's going to work out well for you. That's not a good idea. Uh, to to parents from their children, between spouses, and and an enormous amount of lying takes place. And actually, that same study estimated that on average, Americans lie about four times every day. And those are just the lies that we know about. So of course, though, this is not just a timely issue, although I believe that it is. It's also a very timeless issue, a very human issue. We've been lying ever since we believed in the lie, believed the, the lie in the garden in Genesis 3. And that's why a very long time ago, here in the Ten Commandments, God addresses his people and he gives them this timely and timeless command to not lie. He tells them, I am a God who loves truth, so be my people that love truth. And that's, that's kind of our big idea for the morning. God calls us to be people who love truth because he's truthful. God calls us to be people who love truth because he's truthful. And we'll just kind of quickly walk through these two points, the, the truth about God and the truth about lying. Now, one of the big things that needs to be established uh, is, is why we as the people of God are called to be a people who love the truth, why we're called to be truthful, uh, why we're called to love and seek after and, and value and speak the truth. And really, you could give a number of reasons for this. Um, I mean, for starters, no one, no community, no society, no relationships can flourish uh, under the weight of lies. No, none of them can, can hold up under the weight of lies. And that's fairly apparent, right? Your, your friendships, your church, your marriage, uh, any and all relationships will not survive if you're not intent on speaking the truth to one another. Uh, if, if Truthfulness and trust, they're foundational in any and every single relationship we have. Without it, a community of people, all relationships will fall apart without the truth. Another reason you might say that we, as the people of God, should love truth is because typically honesty is the best policy, right? Typically, uh, lying often has very unpleasant consequences. Uh, if you lie in your business dealings, 
you will likely lose business. If you lie as a politician, you should lose votes, although that's not always the case. Uh, If you lie on your taxes, you could have legal troubles. Now, there, there are consequences that can come from lying. And there are many other reasons that we should be truthful and that we're called to, to love the truth. But right now, we don't, I don't think we even need to go through all of them because I, I want to speak to you about the, the chief, the primary reason that we should be a people that love the truth, and that is the character and the nature of God himself. The, the God who created us, the God who sustains all things, the God who redeemed and, and reconciled and is restoring us and rescuing us to himself is the God of all truth. He is the God of truth. He loves the truth. He only speaks the truth. And this is often referred to, uh, according to systematic theologians, as God's truthfulness or his veracity, his, his veracity. Uh, Numbers twenty three nineteen speaks to this. When Balaam rises up to curse Israel, but he, he blesses them instead. And he says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? And in Hebrews 6, 18, the writer tells us it is impossible for God to lie, which is an extraordinary statement about God, isn't it? It's impossible for him to lie. He cannot lie. He's he's not able to speak anything other than the truth. Whatever he says is true. Whatever he does is right. Whatever he promises will come to pass. Whatever he commands is good. God is always truthful. And that cannot be said of anyone else, can it? No one can say, I've always been truthful. I've never spoken a lie, except our triune God. Of course, we, we as human beings can be generally honest. You know, you can find a, an, an honest Abe out there who will shoot you straight. But generally speaking, that, that could be true. But no one except our trying God can say, I'm perfectly truthful always. Only God can say that. And God's truthfulness means, for, for one, that God is truthful in his revelation, right? He's truthful in his revelation, meaning his word, the Bible, the revelation of himself that he provides is truth. In, in John 17, 17, Jesus prays to our Father for us, saying, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Your, your word is truth. God's word always shoots you straight. As Martin Luther put it, God's word says what a thing is. He, he always tells the truth in his word. And this is, this is what sets us apart. This is what sanctifies us as the people of God because we've been brought into the truth. We're a people who are not clamoring or, or cowering at the change of cultural tides. We're, we're not being carried away by every new philosophy and, and, and new self-help trend. We're firm, we're steadfast and, and set apart because we have the truth of God. God has spoken and what he has said is truth. And in addition to that, God's truthfulness also means that he's truthful in his redemption. He's truthful in his redemption. So he's truthful in his revelation, and he's truthful in his redemption. Romans 15, 8 speaks to this when when Paul writes, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And so we can look back to the promises of the old covenant and see now what God has done in Christ and know that he's truthful in his promises and redemption. 
We can look to, to Genesis 3.15 where, where, where God promises to send a, a, a son of Eve who will crush the serpent's head. We, we can look to, to Psalm 2 where we see God promise that he will give a descendant of David to sit on the throne forever. We can look to, to Jeremiah 31.31 31, where we see the promise of the new covenant. God will write his law upon our hearts. We can look to, to Isaiah 53 where we see God promise to send one who will bear our griefs and carry our sorrows, who will be pierced for our transgressions and bear our iniquities, bruised for our iniquities. And, and, and we can look at what he's done in Christ. We can look at these promises and now see that Jesus has come. He's lived, he's died, he's been raised from the dead. And this gives us assurance that God is truthful in his promises. He's truthful in his redemption. And this, this fills us with hope for the future too, doesn't it? As we celebrate Advent, we're, we're, we're waiting for something to come. Because we, we still have this, this fulfillment of these wonder, wonderful promises to look forward to. We await the new heavens and the new earth. We, we await the, the, the knowledge of God's glory covering the earth as the waters clothe the sea. We await the resurrection of our bodies. We await the resolution of all of our unfinished stories. We await the, the vindication of all injustices. We await seeing the face of Jesus himself. And we can be confident that God will be true to his promises because he has been thus far. He has been in his redemption. We've got the assurance in the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus that God is truthful. Because of Jesus, we can be confident that God is truthful in his promises and redemption. You know, you and I, we don't keep our promises. You and I, we, we say we'll be somewhere at 8.30 and 9 p.m. rolls around and we show up. And we, we say we're going to get this project at work or this assignment done by, by this deadline and we don't get it done in time. But God is true to his word and his promises. The Apostle Paul says in, in Romans uh, that God is true though everyone were a liar. This is an attribute of God. It's part of the very character of God himself, the very nature of God. He's truthful. He's voracious. He loves the truth. He's faithfully, perfectly, and infinitely true. And he's created us in his image to reflect his glory to one another and to the creation that he so loves. He's created us in his image to, to be faithful witnesses. He's, he's created us in his image. This is part of our vocation as image bearers. We're called to truthfulness because God is truthful. As image bearers of God, we're called to reflect his glory in the way that we carry on in our families and in our church and our work and in the public square and in all the various areas of life that we inhabit. We're called to be truthful, to be faithful image bearers, little mirrors that reflect God's glory to one another and to the creation he's called us to exercise dominion over. And in order to be faithful images, we need to be faithful witnesses. But there's also a problem here, right? We aren't faithful. Romans 1.25, Paul says that we exchange the truth about God for a lie. Romans 1.18 says that we suppress, in our unrighteousness, we suppress the truth. We suppress the truth of God. We aren't committed to the truth. We, 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 we aren't truthful like God is. And because of this, unlike God, we don't say what a thing is. We don't keep our promises. We lie. We lie to make ourselves feel better. We lie in an attempt to, to better our position. We, we lie uh, to avoid the consequences of the truth. We lie. And the truth about lying is that God hates it. God hates lying. 
So Proverbs 6, uh, 6 to 16 to 19 unpacks this a little bit. Solomon lists out six things that God hates, and, and, and he says God hates a lying tongue. God hates a heart that devises wicked plans. God hates a false witness who breathes out lies. God hates one who sows discord among brothers. God hates lying. And so God, who cannot lie, who keeps his promises, who always speaks the truth, rescues us and calls us to be a people that reflect him back to himself and to the creation that he loves. This is why when God rescues his people, he gives this command. He's, he says, in a, truth where, or in, a, in a world where truth is hated or seen as relative or suppressed, or not highly valued, be my people of the truth because I love the truth. I love the truth. I am the God of truth, so be my people of truth. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Let's dig into that. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, to understand what's taking place in this command, we need to remember that in the Old Covenant, uh, the, the people of God functioned a little bit differently than, than we do in the New Covenant. Although we continue to be the people of the kingdom of God in the New Covenant, we're not a geopolitical nation in the same sense. Uh, the people of God, the church in the New Covenant, we transcend race and culture and geographical boundaries and, and so on. But in the Old Covenant, the people of God had a military and many other things that, would, that a nation like that would have, including uh, kind of a, a court system, uh, a court system, which in the New Covenant has been replaced with church discipline structures. Uh, and, and this commandment has often been communicated as you shall not lie, and that's certainly within this commandment. It's there, and we'll unpack that in a minute, but it's also speaking of something specific. It's speaking of a setting within that court system in Israel. The, the commandment is you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It's in, it's in reference to a formal situation like a hearing, a, a trial. Do not lie when you're on the witness stand. Uh, do, do not give a false account of the story when you're a witness. Now remember, in this time and in this place, they didn't have access to forensic science. Uh, they, they didn't have detectives and police and investigators. They didn't have lawyers to defend the accused and argue for the accuser. Uh, if, if, if you were accused of stealing or committing some sort of crime, you would have to go out and get witnesses to vouch for you and to say, he, you know, so-and-so did not do this thing. And the testimony of these witnesses would be given so that at the, at the, the trial, uh, that they could come to some sort of decision regarding what should take place based on, the, based on the evidence of these witnesses. And sometimes if the crime was serious enough, uh, the, 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 this could make the difference in the matter of life or death. If, if, if the crime was serious enough that capital punishment was on the table, the, the, the witnesses could make the difference in those cases. And that's why in Deuteronomy 17.6, the Israelites are told that on the evidence of two to three witnesses should someone be put to death, and that no one should be put to death on the evidence of one witness only. And here in Exodus 20, 16, God is forbidding his people from lying in this type of setting. Don't, don't bend or, or break the truth. No, no matter how you feel about this particular person on trial, don't bear false witness. Even if you don't much care for them, even if you don't really like them very much, don't bear false witness based on how you feel about them. Don't bear false witness based on their socioeconomic status. Don't bear false witness uh, if you love the person, if it's a spouse or a friend or, or a family member or a sibling. If, if you have a desire to keep them from trouble or pain because of the consequences due to their crime, that's fine, but don't bear false witness because of that. Don't be bribed to, to bear false witness. Testify to the truth because your God is a God of truth. 
testify to the truth because your neighbor is owed the truth. Testify to the truth because you owe it to God, to love God and your neighbor. You, the responsibility to tell the truth is, is on your shoulders. You know, my dear wife had this responsibility laid on her a couple of weeks ago. We witnessed a hit and run, like right in front of our house. Um, this young woman pulled out in front of this young man and they had a relatively low impact collision. It wasn't too bad, uh, but she just took off. Like it was crazy. And, uh, and the, we got to talk with the gentleman for a few moments and we said, Hey, you know, we, we saw what happened. We'll vouch for you if, if, uh, if you need that. And, uh, later after I had, I had left, the police were called and came and, and, uh, Amy ended up having to give, fill out a police report and say what had happened. Uh, and later when I came home, she, uh, we talked about it. And she said, you know, I, I just felt like there was a lot of responsibility, a lot of weight laid on my shoulders. To, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to be a part of, of any sort of miscarriage of justice here. And then later, it, the insurance companies were, were sending in documents for her to put her statement in writing and, and, and to send it back in. And she said, I, I just, I'm nervous about this. I don't want to say the wrong thing to get anyone in trouble that shouldn't be in trouble or, or to uh, keep anyone from, from carrying out their duties due to, to what they've done. And it's right to feel that sort of weight, that sort of responsibility, because we owe it to God and we owe it to our neighbor to tell the truth. We shall not bear false witness against our neighbor. And now it's not just in that sort of setting, though. Uh, this, this commandment expands. We're, we're not just to refrain from bearing false witness against our neighbor in a court of law, but also across the cubicle. We're called to not bear false witness against our neighbor in, in, in email and text threads. We're, not, we're called to not bear false witness against our neighbor on, on, on tax forms and, and when uh, having dinner with neighbors and friends. In all formal and informal settings, we're called to tell the truth. And Hosea unpacks this when, when accusing Israel of breaking the Ten Commandments in Hosea 4, 1 to 2. He's, he's telling them, you've broken these Ten Commandments. And he says this, there's no faithfulness and steadfast love. There's no knowledge of God in the land. There's swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break, break all bonds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Lying is, is a form of breaking this commandment. Lying, all forms of lying are forbidden in this ninth commandment. And there are numerous different ways to lie, aren't there? Uh, there? There are the most obvious ways which we might try to avoid, like uh, fabricating or inventing a story or just making a completely false statement. But then there are ways that, that are a little more subtle that we kind of allow ourselves to, to uh, we, we, we find a little bit more acceptable and we give ourselves permission to commit. There's equivocation where you purposefully are, are ambiguous and unclear in order to withhold the truth. Uh, there's, there's telling half-truths where you only tell part of the truth and leave out valuable information. Uh, there, there are also uh, what some would call little lies or little fibs, like, man, if you just had the, the most disastrous week of all time and someone comes up and says, how you doing? And you just smile through your teeth and say, pretty good. Or, um, man, I don't think anyone ever actually reads the terms and conditions when they check the, I've read the terms and conditions box, right? You little liars. Then there's also gossiping and, and slander forbidden in this commandment as well. Uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 20, Paul says that the church in Corinth, they're not to participate in quarreling and jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit. Slander, gossip, conceit, these are, these are all ways of, of breaking the, the ninth commandment, lying, telling half-truths, passing along false information about others behind their backs. It's forbidden here. Even, even if a story is true, 
If, if you're telling others information about someone without that person being there to defend themselves and to give their version of the story, if you're sharing information about someone that you wouldn't share if they were present, you're breaking this commandment. You're violating this commandment. And this commandment also addresses tolerating those sorts of behaviors. Not only are you called to not lie and not bear false witness and not gossip and slander, you're also called to not entertain lies. You're called to not entertain lies, but expose lies. You're called to never tolerate gossip and slander. If someone comes to you and they're sharing information about someone that should not be shared with you, ask them to stop. Say, why don't we just stop talking about this? We're getting dangerously close to gossiping here. Or maybe even encourage them to go and talk to this person directly, like we're told to in Matthew 18, 15. No matter how juicy or tasty you find that little morsel of, of information that you want to share that's being shared, you're called as best we can. We're, we're called to, to, as much as it depends on us, we're called to love our neighbors by protecting their reputation and by telling the truth. And Calvin sums it up this way. He says, since God, who is truth, abhors lying, we must practice truth without deceit toward one another. So then, let us not malign anyone with slanders or false charges, nor harm his reputation by falsehood, injure him by unbridled evil speaking, evil speaking and imprudence. To this prohibition, the command is linked that we should faithfully help everyone as much as we can in affirming the truth in order to protect the integrity of his name and possessions. So don't bear false witness don't lie, don't gossip and slander. Protect your neighbor's reputation. Tell the truth. And the truth is we haven't done this. We can't. We, we fail. We, we tell half-truths. We, we gossip. We slander. It's true what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 9.5. Everyone deceives his neighbor. No one speaks the truth. They've taught their tongues to speak lies and they weary themselves with committing iniquity. We haven't been faithful witnesses. We've been false witnesses. We haven't exposed lies. We've entertained them, even told them. We, we haven't rebuked gossip. We've reveled in it and participated in it. We stand before Mount Sinai and before the ninth commandment condemned in our own righteousness because we're liars. All of us except one. In Isaiah 53, 9, God gives us this promise that the Son of God would come and it says that he would do no violence and that there would be no deceit in his mouth. And because God is truthful and keeps his promises, Jesus came and he spoke the truth. There's no deceit in his mouth. In fact, Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, that he himself is the truth. He is truth personified. Jesus is the truth. And Revelation 1, 5 tells us that Jesus is the faithful witness. He is the faithful witness. And although he is the truth, although he never spoke any lies, although there was never deceit in his mouth, and he is the faithful witness that we're called to be, he went to trial and stood condemned for us. In fact, at the trial, they called forth witnesses. And in Matthew 26, 59 to 60, we, we see that the chief priests and the council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. And so though he is the faithful witness, he subjected himself 
to trial on false witnesses and stood condemned for us. He suffered as a liar at the hands of liars so that we liars could be saved and made into people of truth. He was crucified and killed. And and while he was on that cross, the lies, the gossip, the the half-truths that we've spoken are laid on him. And now those that trust in him and receive his record as the faithful witness are saved in him. We're, We're seen as righteous. We're seen as faithful witnesses in him. So now if you trust in Jesus, you're forgiven every lie you've ever told. In God's sight, you are forgiven every lie because you are united to Christ and seen as a faithful witness because you're clothed in the righteousness of the faithful witness. Though we've sinned, though we've slandered, though we've uttered lies and deceit, now in Christ, God declares over us, you are united to my son. You are united to my son. In him, you are people, my people of the truth. You are my faithful witnesses. You are my new creation. And because this is true, he calls us, don't live contrary to what's been spoken over you. Don't live contrary to the identity that you've received in Christ as the people of truth, as my faithful witnesses. Live in line with the identity that you've received in Christ. Don't live as ones who suppress the truth anymore. Live as people who love the truth. Speak the truth in love, Paul tells us in in Ephesians 4.15. Live as my redeemed image bears to reflect me into the world that I've created and will one day restore. He says, be my people of truth because I am the God of truth. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for being the faithful witness. We thank you that you prevailed and were truthful where we have failed and have lied. And we thank you for being judged as a liar so that we could be judged as righteous people. And we thank you for for sending your spirit and filling us with the, the spirit of truth who loves the truth and makes us into the people of truth. Thank you for including us in your new creation where the truth prevails eternally. We ask that you would help us to live this week as people who love the truth. Help us to be faithful witnesses. Help us to be uh, truthful about ourselves. Help us to be truthful about the sins that we commit. Help us to be truthful and and confess sin to one another. Help us to be truthful with our neighbor about the the gospel of truth that we've received. Help us to to be faithful to, to preach the gospel. And help us to be faithful witnesses and and people who tell the truth to our neighbors and love our neighbors by doing so. Lord, would you you help us to be witnesses that, that testify to your glory and your grace in the way that we speak and in the way that we act. Lord, we're dependent upon you. We can do nothing apart from you. So would you help us as we go from here to not just be hearers of the word only, but doers as well. In Jesus' name, amen.